gave you the right to judge me. People don't like to be judged, but they're always judging. Because without judgment, you can't make a decision. So you're always judging. You ever have one of them phone calls that says, uh, would you like to take a survey, only take a minute after we're done? And the only thing that survey is, is you're judging how they have served you. That's all. You're making a judgment. And we're always judged. We're judged by our work. Your employer is always judging you. That's how promotion comes about. Why, if you're a hard worker, you're someone who's sincere, you're attendance, and if you do your work correctly and on time without a lot of hassle. So we're always being judged. We're being judged by our neighbors, whether we park our car up on the grass and not in the driveway. We're being judged whether if our house is painted right or if it's kept clean or if the yard is cut or we throw our trash out the side window. We're being judged on how we dress, how we speak. We are constantly being judged. Even though we don't like it, we are. And many people don't like the thing that God one day will judge humanity. Everybody will be judged by their actions, their deeds, their words. We're going to be judged. So we're warned about all those things. To be very conscious of our behavior. Be very conscious of our words. To be very conscious in our kindness and gentleness towards people. Because we're always being judged. Judgment in Westford Dictionary is the act of judging or deciding. You're the one that is judging something in order to make a certain decision. You're making the judgment. And if your judgment is wrong, most likely you'll come up with what? The wrong decision. You have to judge the facts that are before you. You have to judge what is being presented to you. Uh, we're listening to, what's the uh, book we were listening to on the, on the road? Yes. And Elaine said, she got to listen to all them people that they didn't put around her, that she appointed to give her advice, and then she had to judge the advice in order to take it to the president. We're always judging or being judged in order to make good, sound decisions. There's that other judgment also that is a legal term. An order from the judge or a decree from the court that will be carried out and followed.
You may not like the decree. You may not like the order. But if you want to stay out of jail, you're going to follow it. And then there's that debt or obligation resulting from a court order also. That you're obligated to do this. You're obligated to do that. I remember a gentleman sitting in my office and uh, he was a part-time custodian for us. And he came in, he told me, Pastor, I'm going to have to quit my job. Why, man? You're doing good. What's going on? Did we do something wrong? What? He said, I got an order, and I already got one too, that he has to start paying for his child support. Problem he was having, his youngest child was 26 years old. So what he didn't pay for back there, the court is saying, you're going to pay for it now. And he didn't like that, so he quit for, I wouldn't have to send most of his money down to the court. (laughs) It's strange because of this legal stuff that we get into. A young lady ran up to me and she said, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown, I was in a car accident and I was legal, I was legal. Now I'm trying to understand, what do you mean, legal, you're legal. Well, when I thought back about her, she was driving without a license. She was driving without insurance. She was driving because she had all these tickets in court that she finally took care of and was able to get her license back and so forth. And she said, I was legal. And guess what? I didn't have any fear. I'm in an accident. I'm legal. I didn't have any fear. And it took me a moment to put two and two together. If you would have had that accident without your license or without insurance, you'd be going to court. (laughs) You'd be in jail. (laughs) Because you were illegally out on the street without a driver's license or insurance. And she said it was so I wasn't worried. I wasn't scared because I was legal. I'm legal. How many of you are legal? That when you stand at the cross, you'll be legal. You're not breaking any laws, but you'll be legal. When you are legal, it removes fear. And the cross, in a sense, is the courtroom. Because of the cross, you are declared either guilty or innocent. Because of the cross, we are declared either guilty or innocent. Jesus spoke of his kingdom. He spoke about it emphatically of this judgment that he connected. And sometimes we don't put judgment with the cross. But the Holy Spirit is here to convict us of judgment. And the only thing that judgment can come about is in a courtroom. And on the cross, 
the courtroom of God took place in a sense. That either you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, who is also the Son of Man, and only through Jesus can you be saved. Because of his work on the cross. Either you believe that, or you don't believe it. There's no middle ground. Either you believe that Jesus Christ was God on that cross dying for you, or you don't. And yet he takes it to the cross. In Hebrews 9.27, two things come up. Death and judgment are tied together. And you can't get around that. You may not believe anything else in the Bible. But here is a verse I use almost at every funeral. For those who may not believe. Because of what it says. Just as man is destined to die. You can't get around it. You can't escape it. You can't even put it off. And guess what? You won't be late. Just as man is destined to die, how many times? Once. And after that, to face what? Judgment. They're tied together. Death and judgment. They're tied together. They were tied together at the cross. And when you go over to Acts chapter 2, go over to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs. Now here you got the miracles, the wonders and signs, and you can see them. You can see the evidence that this is not a normal individual, a natural man, or whatever you may want to label him by, but he's different. And yet you did not believe or follow. And we need to understand that, yes, he is different. God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourself know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. And Jesus said, I must go to the cross. I must die. He allowed us to know that early part of his ministry. He declared it to his disciples more than once that he would have to go to Jerusalem and die. God's purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men now here Peter don't let him off the hook Peter in a sense uses his finger and says you 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 along with what wicked men 
Now, I want you to catch this picture here. There were some good men there too. But just because you're good don't mean you won't go to hell. And that's why he uses the adjective along with wicked men. Because there was religious men, religious folks who didn't believe. And we got religious folks today who don't believe. And he says, along with wicked men. Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here's the point. Catch this point. Men judged him not to be God and that he blasphemed God and he called himself the Son of God. And because they judged him not to be the Son of God, they put him on the cross. They made a judgment call. And now that judgment call faces them at the cross. All of us. Do we believe or don't we believe? Understand this also. It is at the cross we learn to die. Because if we don't die to self, we will not serve God. We learn to die in obedience to Christ as Christ died in obedience to the Father. To carry out the Father's will, he died. And he learned obedience, Philippians tells us in chapter 2. He learned obedience unto death. And Hebrew says that he suffered in his learning. And it's at the cross that we learn to die to self by acknowledging Jesus Christ and saying, I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to follow him. Now catch this also. Because the flip-flop of that picture is this. If you're not willing to follow him, you are saying you are willing to follow the one who was also judged at the cross with Christ, Satan. And he was defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? For Satan in Hebrews 2 has the power of what? Of death. And Satan was defeated at the cross. Now you choose at the cross which one you're going to follow. Either Jesus or Satan. And Satan has been judged. And everyone who follows in the ways of Satan are also considered cast out from the kingdom of God. Go to Colossians with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 56, and 15. 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He gives us that victory. Now, in Hebrews 2, run on over there. Hebrews chapter 2. Fourteen and fifteen. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, not knowing what happens after death. Is this all it is? Is just this life? There's more to life than just this life. There's eternal life with God. But that's a choice of believing or not believing. And he says, he is the one who tasted death for every one of us. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now, what I want to look at is a couple verses about judgment. A lot of people believe because God is so loving that he will not judge us. Every time you spank your child or punish your child, you have made a what? A judgment. You've made a judgment. Every time you put a punishment on them, even if the child says, I don't think it's fair, or I have a right to do this, because of your authority as a parent, you carry out that judgment whether they like it or God does the same thing. It's not an issue if you like it or not. He's going to judge you based on how you view the cross and who you follow. And at that cross is where a decision has to be made. Are you going to follow Christ? Or are you going to Satan who is a defeated foe and you have to see the Satan as defeated that's why he tells us in John 16 8 that he's going to convict us of judgment to understand that if the highest angel in heaven is judged who are we That the angel that was created perfect, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, who are we? Lucifer, Satan, the devil, all the same person, is judged at Calvary. And now we got to make a decision. Which one do we follow? The victor or the defeated? The victor or the defeated? Our choice. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. 
Matthew 5. It's a decision each one of us have to come to, and we're the ones that have to make that choice. But Scripture, the Holy Spirit, wants us to know there's going to be a judgment. Just like he wants us to know that there is a Savior in Jesus Christ. Just like he wants us to know there is righteousness for us, even though we are not righteous in and of ourselves, that God has provided for us righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, 21, 22. Now, look at these two verses. One verse, he's going to mention a, a word that's in the law. Thy shall not kill or thy shall not murder. That's written. That's in the law. The next verse, he's going to use another word, angry. Not in the law. Not in the law. But yet, we will be judged by it. And what he's allowing us to know is that he's going to judge us in all things. In all things. Anger itself is not sinful. If what follows anger, if you allow anger to rule, that is sinful. So, he allows us to know that. So pick up with me in chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject. Subject to what? Judgment. When you watch 6.30 News, are you making judgments? <laughs> Boy, they caught this guy who killed these four students. And the evidence of saying this and this and that. Have you already made a judgment? <laughs> Some people feel he shouldn't even have to have a trial. But our law says he has to go through the court system, through the trial. You have a psychologist saying, because he has a master in criminal law that he was trying to experience what the feeling was of killing someone. How that felt. He took life. I answered to that very quickly sometime is he should lose his life. We are the ones who made a judgment. The chief of police comes on and he asks, in a sense, let's not rush to judgment. He is a suspect. His DNA was found there on the scene, but so many other people have been in that area. And he says, we're still putting the facts together. Yes, his car was identified. Yes, this. But he says, let's not really rush to judgment. It may look this way, and it may not be what? This way. So let's get all the facts. Let's get all the evidence. And let's let the court make the judgment. And the court is Jesus Christ in that cross where the judgment's been made. 
whether you will enter into his kingdom or you will be left out of his kingdom. But we are so quick to rush to judgment. But God says, you need to understand something. If you murder, you will be subject to judgment. To judgment. Go in verse 22. He said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, when you read the Ten Commandments, anger is not there, but murder is. So he's bringing us to a reality. Yes, here's one in the law. Here's one that is what? Out of the law. But you're going to be judged on all things, whether in the law or out of the law. If it's wrong, it's wrong. You'll be judged on it. And that's what he wants us to know. That we will be judged. Now, over in Matthew 10, 15, again, what the Spirit is trying to bring out is simply this. There is a day of judgment. And uh, you may not want to believe it. But the thing is, is this here. It's there. And you're not going to get away from it. So he says, I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Boy, on the day of what? Judgment. That's what I want you to bring out of there. There's going to be a day of what? Judgment. You can't get away from that. You might kill somebody and get away with it in this life. But eventually, you got to face judgment. You may do something wrong, terribly wrong, and think you've gotten away with it. But sooner or later, you've got to face judgment. The highest court is not the Supreme Court, but it's the court of God. That you will give an account for your, your life, for our lives. We will give an account because we will be judged over everything. How we treated other people. Well, I don't think that they should be treated this way. They're this, they're that. I think I need to be standoff from that. I need to, and God is not saying don't be careful and don't be wise. But every soul needs him. Every person needs him. I don't care how dirty, how filthy, how stinky. He himself came down to us, which can be described as the Mari clay. Have you ever seen that place where fetus go into and water is mixed and it's filthy? We call it sewage. In a sense, God came down from heaven into sewage to save us. We need to see that. But there's going to be a judgment day. Now go to Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Look what he says. Oh, boy. 36, 37. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment. Again, mentioning the day of judgment. For every careless word. Every what? Careless word. Do you understand your words can damage somebody for life? Do you understand that your words 
can you rob something from somebody that hurts them? We use words that can be very, very damaging to our own self-esteem with our children and the things that we say about them, the way we label them. Sometimes when I'm in the store or at the gas station, I'm hearing parents talk to their child. I know I have no right to intercede. I shouldn't say anything. But boy, it just rubs me the wrong way. You dumb, this, 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 and that. And I mean, what did you just do to your own child? You know, we destroy our children sometimes before they ever have a chance to live. And we wonder why they are so ruthless, so arrogant, and so wicked in their young teenage years or senior years. They don't know what kindness is or gentleness is. They don't know what words of encouragement are. They've lost those words. One of our problems in our school system today, a lot of our young kids, all they hear in their home is constantly profanity. All they see in their homes is disrespect of two individuals towards one another. But he shares with us, but I tell you that men will have no, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. What careless words have you spoken about Jesus Christ? What careless words have you spoken about Jesus Christ? At the cross is where you will determine if you're going to follow him or not follow him. At the cross, you will judge yourself. That's why Jesus says, I judge no one. But I hear. But I hear. Hang on to that. But I hear. Go over to Matthew 12 and go to 41 and 42 again. And the issue is about who's greater. But let me ask you, how many of you read that little part in Scripture where it talks about the Pharisees come to Jesus and they asked him, well, by whose authority do you do this? And Jesus, rather than answering them right then, he asked them, who gave John the Baptist his authority? Did his authority come from man or did his authority come from God? And they take off and run off to the side and they have their little huddle and they come back and they say, we don't know. Because in their huddle, they said, if we say it was from God, he's going to tell us, why didn't we follow John the Baptist? Why didn't we follow John the Baptist? Now, in this verse, listen to what Jesus is saying because Jesus is saying this to us today. 
you have somebody here far greater than the one in whoever you might want to believe or your faith in or who your hero is. You've got someone far greater now. And we have to understand that. Verses chapter 12, 41. Let me get up here in it. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with the generations and condemn, with the generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They did what God wanted at the preaching of Jonah. They repented and did what God wanted them to do. And now, one greater than Jonah is here. Who is he speaking of? Himself. He goes on and he says in 42, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon. She sought out wisdom. She sought out knowledge. And she traveled some distance to learn from who? From Solomon, his wisdom, his knowledge. And listen to what he says. And now one greater than Solomon is here. One that is greater than Solomon is here. One that is greater than Jonah is here. One is here that is far greater than anyone else you could ever name. Jesus. 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 He's here. He has been made wisdom for us. He's here. Who do you choose? Who do you choose? Because at the cross you've got to make a choice. Who do you choose? All judgment is given to the Son. According to John 5, 22. Run over there to it. John 5, 22. All this judgment is given to the Son. And he's going to judge. But we want to learn how is he going to judge also. In 522, he simply says it in this fashion. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. He has entrusted all judgment into the hands of the Son. Now, drop down to verse 27. And he says, and he has given him authority. It's not authority that Jesus had to grasp for. It's not authority in the sense that Jesus said, I want it, I want it. It was given to him. It was given to him. Authority to judge. Because, now catch this title. He is the son of who? Man. 
two titles, Son of God, Son of Man. And they meet where at? At the cross. The Son of God is representing who? God. The Son of Man is representing who? Man. At the cross. At the cross. That's where the decision has to be made. Is he or isn't he? Is he or isn't he the one to follow? Now drop down into verse 30. Listen to what he says, and let's kind of break this down. Let's move slowly with it. He says, by myself I can do nothing. Everything he does is in accordance to what? The will of the Father. He acknowledges that. In his present state, I can do nothing but to do the will of my Father, not of myself. If you're really born again, really, you can do nothing other than the will of Christ. Now, what you have to know is what is the will of Christ. If you don't know what the will of Christ is, you can't perform it. But as you are in the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you learn the will of Christ. And as you learn the will of Christ, now you have a decision to make. Do I do it or don't I do it? Do I do it or don't I do it? He didn't ask you if you liked the circumstances. He didn't ask you if you liked the person you're with. He didn't ask you if you liked your boss. He didn't ask you if you liked your neighbor. He didn't ask you if you liked what's happening to you. The question is, is this. Will you do my will? Will you do the right thing? Even though you might suffer, will you do the right thing? Usually we lie to get out from what? From suffering or hurt or pain or anything that might endanger us. We'll lie real quick to get away from that. But Jesus is asking, even though you suffer, will you do my will? Boy, that's hard. And he says, I can do nothing. I can do nothing of myself. By myself, I can do nothing. Now, listen to what he says next. Because you have that comma, that semicolon, there, there's a stopping there. So think on this one. Now he says, let's think on the second one. I judge only as I hear. There's only two things that you can say that he's hearing. One, I judge as I have from my father. Which sometimes commentaries will take you to. So what he said in the very first statement, I can do nothing of myself. Give me your ear just for a moment. You don't hear nothing else. He judges you on what he hears from you of what you thought about Calvary. He 
He doesn't judge us. He allows us to judge ourselves by what he said he would do, that he would judge every word. Lord, I believe. Come on in. Lord, I didn't believe. Lord, I don't believe. You're not in. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I believed that he was the Son of God sent to save me. Come on in. I didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior. I didn't believe. You're not in. He judges us on our own words. Let me give you a little further illustration. I can be angry with that young woman. And one day he's going to ask me, did you treat your wife as I treat the church? Did you love Elaine as I love the church? He's going to judge me for my own what? My own words. On how I treated her. And she will be judged on her words how she treated me. On my own words. Were you a good father? He's going to judge me on what? My own words. He's going to ask the questions. I'm going to do the answering. It's his courtroom. And he's going to ask me the questions and he's going to judge me not from his own pleasure, his own will, what he would like to do, but from how I answer the question and he already knows the truth. Why? He knows the heart of every man. Now who has to confess it? And what he hears is the judgment then. What he hears is the judgment. Can you see that picture? By what you believe about cavalry and by what you say about cavalry, how you respond to cavalry, how you respond to him as the Savior, he hears you. And that's what you'll be judged on. And he says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. Why is this just? When your child says, yes, I stole the car. My, yes, I did this, I did that. What judgment do you pronounce? <laughs> Here, here's $500 reward for you stealing that car. <laughs> All that you're left with is the decision of the punishment. That's all you're left with. Once you hear the words, all you're left with is the punishment. What the Father says or what you will say concerning the cross is what we will be judged by. What I say, what I believe, what he did on that cross for me brings me to a point of judgment and I have to deal with it. It's at the cross that Satan is defeated and all who follow him are defeated. 
and separated from the kingdom. Why? To realize that Christ is the Son of God, the Son of Man, exalted to the throne of God in that manlyhood, in that fleshliness. He doesn't change back to spirit. It's in the flesh that he sits on the throne. This is the foundation of all Christian belief and knowledge. That Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God on that cross. That it was God on that cross dying for me. Dying for me. And yes, it was man that put him there and put the judgment there upon him. And now man has to come to that cross himself to be judged. Do you follow Satan? Or do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And each one of us have to deal with that. And you can't escape it. You may put it off. You may put it off. You may not want to deal with it. But the reality is we have to deal with it. Sooner or later, whether it's on your deathbed or somewhere while you're living, you have to deal with it. John chapter 12, verse 31 to 32. Nope, I just went there. Uh-uh. 31. Let me get there. He says, Come on, eyes. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up, where was he lifted up at? At the cross. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Lifted up at the cross. But at the cross where he dies. And the grave, according to Acts 2, cannot hold him. He defeats Satan in that area of death. John 16, 11 again. Look what he says. John 16, 11, dealing with this arch enemy, Satan. He says, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned at the cross. Now stands condemned. He loses Christ's victory. Who do you follow? Now, in John 14, in verses 30 and 31, He simply says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. Catch that. He has no hold on me. Satan really has no hold on you if you are in Christ Jesus. He has no hold. He has no authority. He really has no power over you except what you give him. 
the one who has authority over you is Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he says, he has no hold on me, but the world must learn. Who must learn? The world must learn. The people must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. God says someone has to die and shed blood for me to forgive. And again, Philippians 2 says, he learned obedience even unto death. Hebrews talks about he suffered. Jesus did his father's will even though it cost him his life. How many of us are willing to do the will of God even though it costs us the way we want to live? Because in that sense, it does cost you your life. Because you're giving up the way you would like to live over for that the way God would have you to live. Our children do it every day. They demonstrate it to us every day. They're living out the way we want them to live, not the way sometimes they really what? Want to live. And we see it. And yet, we don't see it sometime in Christ. And he said, the world has to learn that I obeyed my Father. And in that obedience, we capture that. And then we mirror that. We copy that with the image of that that pleases the Father. But he says, the world has to see me in obedience to my Father, even though it's death. They have to see it. And they have to see me as a just, as a just judge. For I am not judging according to what I want or my will or what I think, but what I hear. And what you say will either condemn you or set you free. Either you believe or you didn't believe. In Philippians 2.8, you'll find where he was obedient unto death. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, that Satan has blinded the minds of us. Now, three things I want you to take away from that chapter 16, verse 8 to 11, are these three things. Salvation depends upon faith in Christ. Period. He come to convict us over who Jesus Christ truly is. 
that he is our Savior. He comes to convict us about righteousness because none are righteous. No, not one. Righteousness is of God in the person God made available for the sinner through Christ. I am robed not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. I live in the righteousness of Christ, not in my own self-righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. We live and move and have our being. And thirdly, whether we want to believe it or not, the saved and the unsaved must face the very fact of judgment. You will either be at the for Christians and you'll be judged on how you performed as a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. How closely you followed the Lord Jesus Christ and how you were obedient to the Holy Spirit. You will be judged on that. And for the unbeliever, the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment. For you will be judged on your rejection of Jesus Christ. Period. Not about what you've done. It's not about if I was a drug addict. It's not about if I was a prostitute. It's not about if I had five, six, seven, ten kids out of wedlock. It's not that I fathered this many kids. It's not about what I've done. Except one thing. I rejected Jesus Christ and following him. Not about my sins. It's only about one sin. Rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ. And that's done in seeing that cross. That he shed his blood for us. Either he did or he didn't. Either he is the son of God or he isn't. Either he is the son of man or he isn't. Either he was God or he's not God. He is the savior or he's not the savior. He is the deliverer or he is the deliverer. He is not the one who rescues or he is the one who rescues. He is the one that I'm following or he's the one I'm not following. He's the one I'm living for or he's the one I'm not living for. Which one is it? You have to answer that. You have to make that choice. Are you following him or are you following Satan? Your choice. Your choice. Those three things, I want you to just nail them in your heart and your mind. Jesus, I need him as my Savior. Jesus, I need his righteousness. I know I'm going to be judged on how I live. How I live, I'm going to be judged. Father, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Thank you, oh God, that you hook the dots together. You paint the picture for us. You give us understanding. Give us the courage to follow you. 
Give us the courage to deny ourselves. Give us the courage to stand up for you in difficult days. Give us the courage to teach our sons and daughters the way of righteousness in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to tell our daughters, our granddaughters, our sons, our grandsons, it's wrong what you're doing. It's wrong. And you will give an account for it. Let us not give them a free pass to sin. Let us not put our stamp of approval upon a life that is not worthy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us love those who are our children and our nieces and our nephews with an agape love and not with a fleshly love. A love that wants them to be set free from sin through Jesus Christ. And that will speak it even when we think it may hurt. Even when the thought is, I don't want to hear that. Even when you're asked to shut up. Even when they ignore you. Speak the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only through knowing the truth of Christ and being convicted of Christ will you see him as Savior and you need his righteousness and you know that judgment is coming. Lord, minister to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, would you come? Walter, would you come? Melvin, Roswell, would you come? We come to the table today maybe with a little bit more knowledge, I hope. Understanding the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowing that he died for us. And he took on this body like us to share humanity with us. Knowing that the spirit could not bleed, he took on human flesh. Because every covenant is sealed with blood. And we are reminded of that every time we take of the Lord's Supper, his body and his blood. His body and his blood. His body and his blood. And we have to make the decision, how will we honor him as we live? The one who gave us life by losing his life for us. How do we honor him? How do we praise him? How do we walk worthy of him? How do we live in such a way that he's really glorified?
Uh, Lord, as he instituted this, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. He says these words because he never wants us to forget that he was in a body form. And then he takes the cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for all of you. This is the blood of a new covenant. Because from Adam to Abraham, all the way through with covenants, we see that they are sealed by blood. And he was willing to shed blood. And we are reminded of that as we partake of this table. It's his blood. It's his body. These are only symbols of it. They are not actually his blood nor his body. But it is a reminder of us. A reminder to us that as long as we partake of this, we declare that he's alive and he's coming again. That we don't serve a dead Savior, but a living Savior. He's alive. He's living in us. He's with us right now. His presence is here. He's here. He's here. He's here. here. Praise you, praise you, Lord. We praise. 